You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 26. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there of the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebram and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and they became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, What can I say when Israel, sorry. What can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things which are devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi, was taken, and he brought near his household, man by man, 
and Achan, the son of Camri, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give no praise and give praise to him. And tell him now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you and we do ask, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us faith to hear? To see and hear that your, your word has come, that your word is here, that Jesus is the word of life. And as we face a hard text and a hard chapter, that we, that we may be confronted by sin, by your holiness, and at the same time, that we may be comforted by your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Buenas noches. Mi nombre es Jordan Rivera. I am a ministry resident here and working to plant a Spanish-speaking church here in town. A couple of weeks ago, I invited you all to come with me and plant a church in a, in a year or so. And I thought that it may be a good idea to teach you a quick uh, greeting in Spanish to encourage you in your way to learn a second language. Uh, a minute ago, I said, buenas noches, which uh, maybe you already know it means Good evening, right? Buenas noches should not be confused with buenos nachos, okay? Buenos nachos is very helpful when you're in a Mexican restaurant, but it's not buenas noches, so don't confuse buenas noches and buenos nachos, all right? You got it, buenas noches, good evening, all right? That's the first class of Spanish for today. You're welcome. We are in, in, the, book of, in the book of Joshua. We've been learning a lot from the book of Joshua. I've been learning a lot from the book of Joshua, not only from the book, but also from pastoral ministry. This is my fourth week in a row preaching, and I've grown to appreciate pastoral ministry and also the ministry that Pastor Nathan does for us. So I wanted to thank Pastor Nathan. He's usually here, but he's not there. 
Thank you, Pastor Nathan, uh, for bringing uh, week by week faithfully the Word of God. I've been encouraged uh, to have this opportunity to bring the Word and uh, to be having a way to, to love you guys. Uh, every week looks different, and, and the preacher must be ready for Sunday. That's, that's what I've been learning so far. And actually, this week was different for us. Uh, on Wednesday, as Debbie, my wife, was dressing Isabella with her pajamas, Debbie pulled Isabella's arm, and she felt like a little pop uh, there in her arm, and she was a little bit scared, scared about it. And Isabella was trying to pull her way up, but she couldn't do it, and we were afraid of that. Now, we tried to give her something to eat, and uh, with her left hand, she, she couldn't read. Uh, it was not painful for her because she was not necessarily crying about it, but she couldn't use her left hand at all, and that was uh, causing trouble for her to just do life in general, and that was causing us uh, worried about what just happened here, right? So we took her to the pediatrician, and it turns out that she had a nursemaid elbow. It's uh, also called pulled el elbow. This happens when a, the ligament with the bone at the elbow joint slips and ships out of position, making it hard for the baby to actually use uh, uh, its, its arm. Um, so the nurse just uh, grabbed uh, Isabella's arm and moved it in the normal rotation, and that was pretty much it. Uh, that was the solution. So after that, Isabella was able to, to use her hand. It was uh, very surprising to me to see how a small part of the, of the body, when it is not uh, connected well, when it is not in the right position, it does not only affect uh, the arm, but also the, the whole movement of the body and then the whole life of the person. And as I was reading our, our text and I was studying Joshua 7, I realized that sometimes we think about the same thing about sin, that it is a small thing and that it is not going to damage us at all or not too much. But the reality is that if we don't treat it on time, the effect that can have in our lives can be very dangerous. Even as we look to the cross, we realize that sin is more dangerous. It has bigger consequences than we would think. So, as we go through our text, my aim today is that we may see, that we may be reminded that sin, sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to destruction. And I've divided our passage in, in three, uh, from verses one to five, the consequences of hidden sin, from verses 6 to 15, the need of confronting sin, and from verses 16 to 22, the sad reality of condemning sin. All right, so let's, let's dive in. I'm not sure if you've noticed that there has been a pattern in the narratives that we've been reading. It usually goes like this. God speaks to Joshua, and he gives them the command and the strategy on how they should go. And then Joshua speaks to the people of Israel, and he tells them what God said that they should do. And then the people of Israel obeys Joshua and obeys God. In today's chapter, we also begin with God, but differently, he's not instructing this time. But we're told something about God, and what is that? At the end of verse 1, we're told that his anger burned against the people of Israel. So he's there at the beginning of the story, but in a different way. Why his, his anger burned against the people of Israel? We're told that Israel broke faith in regard of the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. Things. If you guys remember last week, we talked about the devoted things. Um, it was normal for 
the army that won the battle to take some profit of the war. But Israel was fighting a battle that was already won by God. Uh, God was the one who deserved the, the profit of the war because he fought, he won, he deserves the profit of the war. But Israel didn't keep his command. Yes, we're told that Achan is the one who disobeyed, but God counts all Israel as unfaithful. Last week, we also learned that every individual had to be obedient for the whole nation to be victorious. And under the same category, under the same standard, if the obedience of the individual was going to bring the victory for all, at the same time, the disobedience of the individual was going to bring the defeat for all. God saw Israel as a whole, as a nation, as a body, and perhaps as ritual impurity. If a man would touch a dead body with his finger, not only his finger will become impure, but also his whole body would become impure. And this is true in this chapter. God is counting all Israel to be impure, stained by sin. Now, the narrative continues, and we once again see that Israel is acting different than the pattern that we have seen before. In verse two, we see that Joshua sends spies, and we've seen that before, Joshua has sent spies. But what is interesting, as a commentator has pointed out, is the report of the spies. In verse three, we read that they say, do not have all the people come up, but let just two or 3,000 men come up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole nation toil up there, for there are a few. Last time, the spies reported when they went to Jericho, they came back and they said, truly the Lord has given us the land. Truly the Lord. But this time, they are not reporting that. They are saying, don't bother sending all the people. 2,000 or 3,000 will make it. We see that Israel is kind of making their own strategies for battle. And we haven't seen that before. God was the one who was giving them the strategies for battle. And interestingly enough, we also don't see the Ark of the Covenant here. The Ark of the Covenant had a major role in the crossing of the Jordan, in also the battle, battle against Jericho. But now, now we don't see the Ark of the Covenant. Make us wonder if Israel, by winning one war, became more confident in themselves or if they became confident in numbers. The text is not necessarily clear, but at least makes us wonder what is happening to Israel. It seems like Israel is not quite there. Israel lost battle against Ai, 36 people died. Actually, they ended up running away from Ai, which is embarrassing after the great victory over Jericho. And we read at the end of verse one that their hearts, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. The hearts of the people melted and became as water. We've heard that wording before. Whose hearts had melted in previous chapters? If you remember in chapter one, the kings of the Amorites, their hearts became like water. Their hearts melted. Similar language that Rahab used in chapter two. They said, as soon as we heard that God dried up the waters of the Red Sea, our hearts melted. Is Israel becoming like the Gentiles? Is now their hearts who are being melting? Is now their hearts that are becoming like the waters that God parted? What is happening to, to Israel? This is definitely, uh, definitely a different pattern of the story that we've been reading over and over, chapters two, three, four, five, six, and now seven is different. What has led the people of Israel to act different? What has led the people of Israel to have hearts like the Gentiles? 
What has led the people of Israel to flee before their enemies? What has led the anger of the Lord to burn against the people of Israel? The answer is sin. The sin of one man brings destruction and condemnation for a whole nation. Sin brings greater consequences that, that we would anticipate. Sin brings horizontal consequences, affecting people, not, not only us, but people around us, in ways that we cannot anticipate and in ways that we cannot understand. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were not having in mind the consequences that that was going to bring to us thousands and thousands of years ago um, in front. The horizontal consequences of sin brought a whole change and brought more, uh, more sin, and with that, it brought more consequences. Sin does not only affect us, but sin affects the people around us. And hidden sin is not different. Hidden sin will never uh, stay only in the room. Hidden sin will never stay only in our phones. Hidden sin will never stay only with that one witness. Hidden sin will be known because hidden sin is offensive and hidden sin brings destruction. Achan's sin was not very hidden at all. The consequences were very, very great to the whole nation. The consequences were very well known. Sin is offensive not only to us, but to people. Sin will be offensive to our wives. Sin will be offensive to our family. And sin will destroy our families also. Sin can be also offensive to our church. God does not only speak about Israel as if they are a body, but also God speaks as the church, as being one body. So if there's someone that is part of a church and is stained by sin, this also affects the whole church. But sin does not only bring consequences horizontally, it also brings consequences vertically. Do you remember what God responded to uh, for Israel's sin? We're told that his anger burned against the people of Israel. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, not being able to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And these may seem to be very intense consequences. We may just think, it was just a piece of gold, or it was just a fruit. But certainly, it is not because of the magnitude of the sin that necessarily brings the greater consequences. It is because of the magnitude of the person to which we're offending as we sin that brings greater consequences. Sin is offensive to God. Sin is not, also, is not only a mistake that we need to avoid. Sin is not a misstep that we need to get better at. Sin is offensive to God, to a holy God. And this is why it deserves a big consequence because we're offending a big God. Sin has profound consequences horizontally. Sin has consequences vertically. And this is true in the people of Israel. We see with Achan's sin. Sin is destroying the people of Israel and also destroying their relationship with God. But Joshua didn't know this. So there's a need to confront sin. There's a need to confront sin. We read in verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell down on earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. 
These are common signs of lamentation in the Old Testament, tearing their clothes, covering themselves on ashes or dust. In a passionate prayer, Joshua shows his heart. It was normal for him to be confused about this event, not only because of the things that he didn't know, but for the things that he did know. He knew that God was going to be with them. God said that the land was already theirs and they had experienced already victory. But now they are losing battle. And not only that, people are dying. So he's trying to put the dots together, but it is hard for him to see. What is encouraging to hear in his prayer, as we read in verse 9, is not only that he's worried about Israel's name being cut off from the earth, but as, as we read at the end of verse 9, he asks, And what will you do for your great name? The nations did not only know about the event at the Red Sea or the event at the Jordan River. They knew the name of the God who made those events happen. So if, if Israel ends, ends up not possessing the land, this was directly connected to the mighty of God. Maybe the nations were wondering, he can open the Red Sea, he can open the Jordan River, but he cannot win against Ai. Is the God of Ai greater than the God of Israel? And Joshua knows this. He's aware of this. So he, he cries out to God and he prays, yes, in confusion, but also in honesty. He's being honest. He's opening his heart before the Lord. And although his prayer may echo some complaints of the people of Israel in the past, as they were saying, did you, did you bring us to the, to the desert to die? Did you bring us out of Egypt to die? And although we hear some of that in in Joshua's prayer, as one commentator explains, it is different to complain to God than complain about God. And I think there's something that we can learn from, from here. We're so good to complain about God and not to bring our complaints to God. It shouldn't be surprising that in the midst of uncomfortableness, our hearts and minds tend to bring these crazy thoughts about God should not be surprising because the flesh is flesh. That's the best thing that the flesh knows how to do. But instead of taking these thoughts and build upon each other, or instead of taking these thoughts and keep them to make our hearts harden, we should take these thoughts to the Lord. We should take these thoughts in prayer to the Lord, in humility, in confession. Lord, this is what I'm thinking about you. This is what I'm thinking about the situation. And I know this is not true. We should not hold our thoughts that complain about God. We should bring these thoughts to the Lord, although they are complaints. God is big enough to hold and to handle our complaints. He knows how to do it. It is better to complain to him than about him. So we see that God listens and he responds and he says to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen to your face? Almost like God interrupting Joshua's prayer, like saying, it is not time to pray no more. It is time for action. There is sin in the camp. There's something that you have to do. Confrontation needs to happen. We see that God does not take lightly the sin of Achan, and he gives six descriptions. And one is more specific than the other in verse 11. He says, Israel has sinned meaning that they have transgressed my covenant, meaning that they have taken some of the devoted things, meaning that they have stolen, they have lied, and they have put the, this among their belongings. 
Therefore, this is verse 12, if you can follow with me with your Bibles. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. As a commentator has put it, or Israel destroys the devoted things, or they are destroyed as devoted things. They became what they worship. And by keeping the devoted things, they are becoming like the devoted things. And that is true for us also. We become what we worship. And if we keep sin, we cannot keep God. God cannot cohabitate with sin without bringing some changes. If, God is bound, if Israel is bound to sin, they cannot be bound to God. Either Israel has God or has sin, but they cannot have them both. Confrontation of sin needs to happen for restoration of Israel, so that restoration of Israel can start. Sometimes we do have this tendency to try to hold on tight to Jesus, and at the same time to try to reach as much of the world as we can, as if we can have the best of both worlds. But that is not true. We won't enjoy none of them if we're, we're trying to live with God and with sin at the same time. Our lives will become miserable. We won't even enjoy God and we won't even enjoy sin. God made a covenant with the people of Israel in chapter 19 and he said, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Obedience and holiness was part of the identity of the people of Israel. Obedience and holiness was part of the identity of the people of Israel. And this is true for us too. Obedience and holiness are part of our identity in Christ. If we love Christ, we keep his commandments. If we love Christ, we become like him in holiness. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We need God to confront our sins, to restore us. And yes, that usually hurts, but it's needed. Confrontation of sin is needed in our lives. Verse 16, we're seeing now the sad reality of confronting sin. God calls Joshua to confront sin in the people of Israel. So verse 16, we read that Joshua rose early in the morning and brought, and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, household by household, man by man. Verse 18, we read that Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Sabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. This word taken, it's the same Hebrew word for captured. This is the same word that was repeated in the previous chapter to say that Israel captured Jericho. Same word that is gonna be used in the next chapter to say that Israel captured Ai. God is capturing his enemy. God is leading the people of Israel to capture the sinful cities for destruction, and God is now leading Israel to capture the sinful men who is bringing destruction to Israel. He has become like the devoted things. 
Yes, Israel and Joshua are taking action in this process, but it is actually God who is leading the whole process. We read in verse 14, he says, and the tribe that the Lord takes, and the clan that the Lord takes, and the household that the Lord takes. God is condemning sin. He's behind all this. It's his justice. It's his plan. Achan had become an enemy of God by stealing something that belonged to God. The devoted things were to God and for God alone, and he stole it from God. And this is what he confesses in verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me, now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered to Joshua, saying, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beauty clock from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. The wording of this confession is very interesting. Let's see if, if you remember another narrative, another story with the same words. When I saw something beautiful, then I coveted, I took, and then I hid. Where have we heard this before? The Garden of Eden. We, same, we see the same pattern in the Garden of Eden. Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good or beautiful, the same word in Hebrew. And then she coveted, she took, she ate, she shared, and then they hid. This shows us that sin does not just happen, that sin is meditated, that sin is planned, that we see, that we desire, we, we take, we eat, we hit, we share. Sin just not happens from nowhere. It starts in our hearts when we see things that we like, see things that looks beautiful, but God has said that that is not good for us. First chapter of Genesis, we hear over and over, God says, God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. Seven times, God saw that it was good. And then we get to chapter three and we read, and Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good. Every time that we trust in ourselves, every time that we trust in our eyes, every, trust, every time that we trust in our flesh, He never gives us what He promises. There's nothing wrong necessarily on the gold. There's nothing necessarily wrong on the clock. But God, God has said that they need to trust Him and Achan didn't trust God. And that was a bigger problem. That was a major problem. A beautiful and expensive clock, five pounds of silver, and a little over a pound of gold. It is not necessarily a lot, but it would have been the, it would have been the same if, they, if he would have only take a, a silver coin. He coveted what it, it was not his, it was the Lord's. He stole to the Lord. Sinfulness is so stupid. Why would you take something from God after you saw him opening the waters of the Jordan River? The gold and the silver has no value until you exchange them for something that you can actually use. 
And, they, and there you have it. They are seated in the dirt, doing nothing. The piece of clothes, everyone, everyone was going to notice that he had something new. There was no, no point at all to wear it. People were was going to ask, where did you get that from? And what was he going to say? Target? Like, he cannot hide that. Sin makes us stupid. Sin, sin never gives us what it promises. When was the last time that you told your partner or, or other person something that you knew that it was going to hurt them, but it was just perfect to make your point, so you just said it anyways? What did that person say? That's a good point. I didn't think about that. You know what? You win. No. Sin never does that. Sin never gives us what it promises. Achan got no value out of his sinful acts because sin never adds. Sin always takes. Sin never builds, always destroys. We will never get any value out of sin because sin condemns us, because sin destroys us. And this is what we see in verses 22 and on. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with a silver underneath. 24, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Sarah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and, he, and, and sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble to us? The Lord brings trouble to you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called Valley of Akkor. We live in a very different age than Israel did in as we read that not only Achan was put to death, but also his family, we, we may think, but, but why? It was Achan who did, who did this. Well, definitely it was not because of injustice. Deuteronomy 24:16 says, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. And that helps us to understand the story. Because by hiding the anathema in the tent, Achan was bringing his family with him too. His family was participating consciously in the sin of Achan. They ignored the covenant of the Lord and they kept alliance with a traitor, knowing that this had led to 36 people to die, to the defeat of a nation, and potentially to put the name of the Lord in shame in the other nations. Brothers and sisters, this is the sad reality of condemning sin, that sin hardly ever condemns only one person. Sin brings other people with you. We've seen it since the beginning. Eve brought Adam with her, and Adam brought all humanity with him. Is there any hidden sin in our lives? 
Is there something that God has said that it is good and yet we, when we see that, we think that it is good for us, that it is beautiful? Is there something that we have coveted, that we have taken, that we hid, and perhaps something that we have already shared? Today is the day that the Lord is calling us to repentance, to come to him in prayer and, and perhaps to, to look for a brother and a sister, to talk to them. To look, to look for advice from them. Perhaps to look for that brother and sister knowing that you have offended that person to ask for forgiveness. Sin is a serious disease in the body. In the New Testament, God calls the church a body and he has given us a way to call out anyone who is not walking in repentance. Matthew 18, 15 to 17 says, if your brother sin, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two brothers along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let it be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. The idea of the words of Jesus is for the church to seek out for the brother who is walking in sin and to call him to repentance, in love to call him to repentance. Members of Christ Church, you know that we take this seriously. And this is because sin destroys and we don't want that for you. And this is why also the last sentence of our covenant of membership says, if I ever continue in my sin without true repentance and do not hear the pleas and rebukes of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I love this, I implore this body to seek my spiritual restoration in proceeding in the steps of restoration and purity given by Jesus in Matthew 18. Know that because sin destroys, we don't desire this for anyone. And this is why we follow the words of Jesus. If there is any hidden sin in you today, come in repentance to God today. The reality, the reality is that we are all like Achan. Any of us are very susceptible to live a life in sin. We often steal what is God's. We continuously steal his glory. We continuously steal his honor. We say that we're his, but we take control of our lives and we try to take control of other people's lives. Let us pray like the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my, my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I hope you have heard that this is not a message of condemnation, but this is a message of restoration. Let me be clear that although sin destroys, Jesus forgives. That although we have offended God, he has come to restore the relationship that we have broken. That there's no wrath of God for those who are in Jesus Christ. All the wrath of God has put on Jesus. So there's not a single drop of wrath kept for the ones who are in him. Romans 5:12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death 
spread to all men because all sinned, 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. In Adam, we're all condemned. But in Jesus, in Jesus, there's restoration. In Jesus, there's forgiveness. In Jesus, there's peace. In Jesus, you can find what you need. So let us come today in prayer to Jesus, knowing that we need him, knowing that in his righteousness, in his obedience, we can find holiness for us. Because in his crucifixion, our sin was dealt with. But not only his crucifixion and his obedience, we may also be transformed for righteousness. No more condemnation for those who are in Jesus. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love. So today, if you're not a believer, know that sin destroys your life. Sin destroys the life of the people around you. That is the nature of sin. Sin can never give, always take. If you're a believer, be reminded of that too. And let us all come together to Christ to know that in Him we can find the forgiveness that we need and the restoration that is awaiting for us. Let us pray. If you want to take a minute there where you are, maybe the Lord is bringing something to your heart, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds there to pray by yourself. Maybe the Lord is calling you to repentance. I'll pray out loud in 30 seconds. Lord God, we come before you knowing that there's nothing that we can hide from you. Knowing that you know it all and even before our word comes out of our mouths, you know it already. We come before you also understanding that in Christ, all of those who are in Christ can find forgiveness. Because our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid off by Jesus Christ on the cross. And at the same time, we recognize that our flesh tends to, to lead us in ways that we offend you. It tends to, to lead us in ways that we offend others. And that we need you more than we're conscious of. With your Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind and heart the ways that we have offended you. That we may repent, that we may not keep our sin and hide our sin, but confess it before you knowing that we can find the grace that we need and the restoration that we also need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.